Hey guys, welcome to Fortress Survival. So, I've been reading this book. It was recommended by Baron Dependent. If you don't listen to him, over on Patreon, I think he has a YouTube channel too. Uh, but I highly recommend his channel. He's got some good stuff. Um, different way, different personality than Pastor Joe Fox, but I kind of like him. I like hearing different people's ideas. Anyway, he recommended this book. So I got it, been reading through it. I'm only on the second, finished the second chapter this morning. Um, and as with most people, I don't agree 100% with everything, but he's got some really good stuff. So one of the things he addresses in chapter one is psychological stuff, having the right mentality. And he addresses fear and dealing with extremes, normalcy bias, a lot of that sort of stuff in the first chapter. And so, without, and I'll try and remember the, the title of the book, and hopefully I'll have it for the next video. I can hold it up for you so you can see it. Because I, I looked at the title, I thought I would remember it, and then I got in here and hit record, and I can't remember it. So, tomorrow I'll try and have it when I record the, uh, the section based on my thoughts on chapter two. But chapter one's about psychological stuff. And, um, which actually the video I did yesterday, the one on tribe and team stuff, was largely based on this chapter too. But the um, psychological stuff, normalcy bias. I've been thinking a lot about normalcy bias because you keep hearing people talk about it. get rid of your normalcy bias, stop, you know, having normalcy bias. I mentioned this a few other times. I don't think you can. Your brain has to have some reference point to draw from when you are doing. Uh, when, you're, when you're processing information, you're taking in information, you're processing it, you're trying to make sense of it, your brain has to have some reference point for that. I think what most people really mean when they talk about doing that is you need to have a broader spectrum of what classifies as normal. And what that requires you to do most of the time is to spend time thinking about things that make you really uncomfortable. And that's why most people have what they classify as normalcy bias, because they're uncomfortable seeing things like severe injuries, right? Bad car accidents, violent crimes being committed. It makes them uncomfortable, they don't wanna see it. And so they avoid it, they stay away from it, and they never get that perspective in their minds for this is very possible, right? That's why a lot of your police and EMS guys, firefighters, they have a lot broader spectrum on that side of the, of the thought mentality process for dealing with that stuff because they see it a lot. They see bad accidents, they see drug overdoses a lot, they see um, shootings, <clears throat> stabbings, all of this kind of stuff. And for them, they go, oh, okay, this stuff happens. Now for them, they think it happens a lot more than it actually does to your average person because they're the ones always called to it, right? Just like when I was a police officer, one of the reasons I, I quit was because everyone was a dirtbag when I was a police officer because everyone I dealt with was a dirtbag. And so you start looking at everyone as a dirtbag. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to think about people this way. So I moved on and did something different. but. As you're going through, if you work in a cubicle, if you work somewhere where, you know, just it's a normal job, you go to work, you go home, start thinking about the uncomfortable things. 
spend time thinking about it until you're not uncomfortable with it anymore so that you expand your concept of what could be and what is normal think historically way back in time what kind of stuff happened what kind of stuff did happen what kind of stuff is still happening right now right in Africa in the Middle East in a lot of your uh, Pacific Rim countries you know Vietnam Cambodia Laos all those places North Korea right China what kind of stuff is happening the media doesn't cover much of it but crazy things still happen all over the world with the governments what the governments do just with crimes with the different aspects and versions of tribalism really bad things happen all the time all over the world think about them so that if they start to happen to you you don't go oh no I'm sure that's not what's happening spend some time in it the other one was dealing with discomfort <clears throat> and uh, he mentions this too with when he was talking about his group or tribe putting that together <clears throat> and that is you need to be able to actually deal with discomfort and that is a drastically different thing than thinking about dealing with discomfort and a lot of people go oh yeah I can deal with discomfort extreme cold I have all the gear well, I lived in Alaska for seven years up in Fairbanks minus 60 minus 70 degree temperatures we'd go out tracking in it we'd work in it gear does not make it comfortable not at those temperatures gear makes it survivable now I've never lived in the hardcore desert but I was in Iraq for a while in Afghanistan it's pretty cold in Afghanistan it's pretty hot in Iraq 120 degrees are normal days in the summer and having gear having stuff you know we would have ice chests that we had on the back of our Humvee turrets since I gunned a lot I got to be the one reaching in there a lot handing the drinks and other things to everybody we dump a couple bags of ice in there with a bunch of drinks and I would take those bandanas those ones that are kind of like moisture wicking and I would stick them down in there and I'd cycle them out and put them around my neck I mean it's nice it helps but it's still really hot Having gear does not make those situations comfortable. It might make them a little bit more comfortable. And guess what? If it gets as bad as a lot of you people think it's going to, I don't know if it will or not, but if it does, there's not gonna be ice, right? If it's an EMP, no electricity, that means no ice. All this sort of stuff. The, the cognitive disconnect in a lot of these scenarios that people get in their minds. EMP, but we're still going to have flashlights and radios. Right? That was one of the things I laughed about with uh, Jericho, the show Jericho, which I like, by the way. It was a really good show. But it was like, EMP, everything shut down. Oh, by the way, we still have radios and flashlights. It's like, that's not how EMPs work. So anyway, be used to being uncomfortable. And the best way to do that is to go out and be uncomfortable. And of course, just like with normalcy bias and not wanting to think about those things that make us uncomfortable. We don't want to go do the things that make us uncomfortable either. Because they hurt. They're uncomfortable. Do hard things. Teach your children to do hard things. My son this morning gets up and he goes, his sister's sick, so she got to sleep in. He said, I wish I was her right now. 
said, why? He said, so I, I could still be sleeping. I'm like, uh-huh, learn to do hard things. People who don't do hard things, they're the ones who suffer. Learn to suffer now so that that stuff, you look at it and go, ah, it's no big deal. Right, kind of like the ranger school, the, the misery inoculation that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So be able to deal with that kind of stuff because mentally you're going to be in a bad shape if you can't. It's a hard learn. It's a high learning curve. It's hard. You, you've got to spend some time thinking about it. You've got to spend some time doing it or you're going to have a lot of suffering and to you things will be a lot worse than they actually are because you're not familiar with that kind of stuff. Wherever you live, get outside a lot, especially in the summer and the winter. Right, whenever it's the hottest and the coldest. Get out in it, learn to function in it. Learn to deal with it. It's pretty important. So, the other thing he talked about was fear. And fear to me, I think the reason that fear does what it does to most people is because fear creates stress in us. So if you haven't listened to it already, I highly recommend going over to Protection Dog Podcast. That's my podcast. Uh, where I have more of a focus on on the dog side of things. But we talk a lot about security and defense. And I did a whole episode on the cognitive and physiological effects of stress and how to overcome them. Stress inoculation. Right? Start inoculating yourself now to stress. Start inoculating yourself now to misery and discomfort. You will be better off, even if nothing really bad happens, you'll be better off by doing that now. Because those are the people that accomplish things, right? Doing the hard things. Those are the people that, you know, everybody goes, oh, this person's so successful, but they ignore the 1,200 failures they had before that. But the people that did the 1,200 failures and were still successful, they're comfortable with failure. They're comfortable with being uncomfortable. They deal with pain and discomfort. They do hard things. They don't quit when things get hard. And that's something that you can teach yourself, you can train yourself to do. It's usually, people that do those things are usually people who went through the military or some version of something that created a hardness in them for that. Start thinking about that now. Sorry, cough drop, got stuck in my cheek. If you stay comfortable, it will seem much more uncomfortable if things get bad. If you stay in your comfort zone in your mind, when things get bad, you will hesitate. It will seem far worse than it is. If you start training yourself to deal with it now, you'll be far better off if things get really bad. Or even if they just get bad for you personally. They don't have to get bad for the whole world. You're gonna go through something. Are you gonna be ready for it? Interested in your thoughts in the comments. Hey guys, Joel here, and today I wanted to talk to you about another practical thing. There are a lot of people who will contact us. I used to uh, work a lot with a Navy SEAL buddy of mine, um, helping him with a lot of his, he does a self-defense program called NACA, so I would help with a lot of those classes, or I used to help him with a lot of his firearms classes. I focus more on the dogs now uh, exclusively. But people would contact us in a lot of those situations, and they would ask us things like, how do I keep from, or how do I defend against a knife attack without getting cut? Or how do I fight off multiple attackers without getting punched a bunch of times, right? Or how do I do this without getting hurt? They always wanted to do it without getting hurt, right? 
And uh, and it usually wasn't stated overtly like that. A lot of times it was just implied. Like, what, what, I'm gonna get cut here when we're doing knife defense. Yeah, if you're fighting with a knife, you're probably gonna get cut. Welcome to real life. So, here's the deal. How do you get over that, right? How do you get over this? Because it's a, it's a legitimate fear. It's a legitimate fear to get punched in the face if you've never been punched in the face before. And if you've never been punched in the face before and you're not scared of getting punched in the face in a fight, you're probably stupid because getting punched in the face if you have not been punched in the face is extremely disorienting, right? If you're not used to it, if you're not expecting it, then you are looking at the person, the next thing you know, you're looking at the sky, and as soon as your head comes back down and you're still kind of thinking, why was I just looking at the sky? You get hit again and you're looking at the sky again, and it's very difficult to recover from if somebody's attacking you with any kind of aggressiveness, okay? So, how do you get over it? How do you get over getting over the fear of getting punched in the face, cut or stabbed with a knife, which by the way, while it's not fun to get cut or stabbed, people rarely die from that if they can go get medical help, right? Stab wounds, you have to be stabbed hundreds of times or at least like, you know, 10, 15, 20 times for it to be fatal, right? Now that's assuming you can go get help. Like you can stab somebody in the heart one time and of course they would die. But stab wounds are relatively easy to fix in a surgery room by a surgeon who knows what they're doing. Okay, they're way better than gunshot wound. Gunshot wound creates this static, or, um, this hydro sh shock through your body and causes lots of damage as it goes through. And, uh, and gunshot wounds are generally really bad. Stab wounds are like in, out, and it's fairly easy to fix. It's generally needs surgery, antibiotics, all that kind of stuff. So if there's no doctor, it could be really bad. But generally you get stabbed once, it might hurt, it might not, depending on how sharp their knife is. And then you can keep fighting. You can keep fighting and you can still end the threat, win, call 911, go to the hospital, right? But how do you get over it? Because a lot of people are like, that still sucks. You get over it by sparring. Now, you can go to a ring. What is sparring? If you don't know what sparring is, it's basically fighting with each other with a little bit of equipment, right? Maybe you have gloves on, maybe you have the head mask, the, the helmets on, you can do different types of helmets. They make some that pretty much like give you almost full protection um, and your head kind of bobbles around when you get punched, but generally you, you don't get hit in the face at all. Other ones, you um, there, it's like foam around you, so you'll still take hits in like the nose and things like that. Um, which it's good to kind of know what that feels like a little bit, as long as you don't break your nose. But um, there's different equipment you can have. You can be like all padded up, or you can be like just minimal padding. But it allows you to fight and to feel a little bit of the discomfort of the fight without really getting hurt. And uh, so the purpose is not to hurt each other. Generally, when you start sparring, you kind of go almost slow motion, right? Like 50% speed. And like, uh, boom, I just hit you in the face. Or, uh, block, okay, how are you gonna counter? And usually one person's a little more experienced, one person's a little less experienced, and the more experienced person talks the less experienced person through it, right? Okay, I'm doing this, okay, but you didn't see this, boom, knee to the thigh, right? Sciatic nerve hit, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, that was only 50% strength. Imagine how much it hurts if I do it full strength, right? And you, But you start learning the process. You start teaching your brain to look for things, to be aware. You start taking light touches, light hits, which still hurt a little bit, but if you're not used to them, they're a good way to start. And then you slowly build up to kind of like your 80% fight. You usually don't spar at like 100, full on 100% because that's when people get hurt. 
but you get like a, a 80%, 70, 80% range, and, uh, and you just go, hey, if you tap, we quit, right? Because the purpose is not to injure each other. The purpose is to start learning how to take hits, how to give hits, how to watch for weaknesses, start finding your weaknesses, all of that sort of thing. And the added benefit is it starts getting you over the fear of the interpersonal conflict. It starts getting you over the fear of hitting and being hit. Over the, you can start using weapons, training knives, right? You start going boom, boom, stab in the ribs. Feel that? You just got stabbed. And now uh, you go, oh crap, I need to be aware of that, right? Some of you guys carry knives on you. And if you're not used to fighting, one of my favorite things to do, and I'm not some super awesome fighter, but I've done a little bit of it. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to take somebody else's knife off them, and they usually don't even know it happened. And if they have a folding knife in a pocket, you can take it out of their pocket, don't even open the blade. Just You just got the, the knife all folded up and in your hand, and you just go whack, whack on an upper leg, right? Or inside their leg where you got a, a femoral artery there or a rib cage, whack, whack, and they're like, ow! And you're like, yeah, that's your fucking knife stabbing you right now. Sorry about the, uh, try to keep these a little bit more uh, toned down, but too bad. So um, it's a great way to start practicing, a great way to start getting some experience, and a great way to start overcoming those fears. I highly encourage you to do it, and you don't both have to be experienced. You can just learn together, right? Just get a little bit of equipment and start practicing. You can even start some wrestling without equipment. Just try not to injure each other. The, if you have somebody that's stupid and going too hard, you can get injured. So make sure you have a, a good partner, a smart partner that you're going to learn from and that's not just there to be like, oh, oh, I'm going to hurt somebody because I'm an idiot and I don't ever get to do this any other time. Um, those guys are jackasses and you don't want to train with them. Um, but if you do it right, you'll learn and you'll benefit. Highly recommend you do it. Remember, train hard, stay safe, be prepared. Hey everybody, Joel here, and let's talk a little bit more about some fighting skills. So last time we talked a little bit about sparring and helping overcome some of the fears of interpersonal conflict, which is, by the way, a 98% phobia. So it's considered a universal phobia. Almost everybody has it, and the only way to get over it is to do it in a format that helps you just condition yourself to be able to do it, which is one of the big benefits uh, to any kind of fighting sport, although there's major downsides if you think it's gonna be like a sport on the street, but still the big benefit is you're used to and less stressed by um, actually engaging with another person, right? <clears throat> and so those are big benefits. Um, I've heard some really good things about Krav Maga. I've not used them uh, personally, but heard really good things about them. Sistema I've heard some good things about. Naka is the one I'm most familiar with. And then any of your others, MMA is, is okay, depending on what they're mixing together. Um, but just understand, in real world, there is no tapping out, right? <clears throat> Typically, at least anyway. Uh, maybe somebody would, if they're really sport conditioned, maybe they would. Uh, but for the most part, in a real world situation, real world setting, you're fighting and you're fighting until somebody quits. And, uh, and that quitting may or may not involve serious injury, right? <clears throat> so you wanna just be aware of and prepared for that. But the next topic I wanna to talk to you about regarding fighting is learning to clear your house. Uh, this is extremely important if somebody is in your house and they have a weapon, a firearm specifically, um, but any weapon, and they're in there and you and your team, whoever that is in your house, it could be two spouses, it could be an older child, um, it could be you and a dog, right? <clears throat> Whatever your team is, 
you need to practice clearing your house. My recommendation is you have two situations. You have the, um, hey, we just got home and the door is open, a window is broken, something like that. How do we clear our house in that setting? And then you have the, hey, we are sleeping and we heard a weird noise. How do we clear from our bedroom? Because your point of entry, your starting point is gonna probably be different in those two situations. Um, unless you can enter your bedroom from an outside door. And then I guess you could come in and, and always clear from your bedroom. Uh, but most people's houses are not set up that way. <clears throat> so if you don't have basic room clearing skills, uh, if you haven't learned that yet, find somebody that can teach you that. Um, somebody with some law enforcement or military experience um, or who has gone through some good training on how to you know, clear corners, enter doorways, um, look for funnels, fatal funnels, all of that sort of thing. Um, all of those things go into properly clearing your house, okay? And then you need to practice doing it with the person or persons that you're actually going to do it with, most likely in real life. Recommendations, first of all, if you're gonna use weapons at all, like live weapons, double, triple, quadruple check that they are unloaded. <clears throat> Make sure that there's not a round in the chamber and still be very, very careful not to flag each other. Flagging means you point your gun at a friendly person, person you're not supposed to, okay? As you're going through your room, your house clearing, you wanna make sure a couple things. Number one, you don't leave any space that a person could hide unchecked. Number two, start off talking loudly to each other and talking through everything. Don't try to be like overly quiet and tactical right off the bat because you're gonna suck at it. So just talk through what you're doing. Hey, this is what I see. Hey, this is what I see. Hey, I can cover this space while you move there. Okay. And you do that back and forth. And then as you do it multiple times, you'll start to develop a pattern and a rhythm to it. And you won't have to talk as much. Okay. But talk to each other. Best situation, my recommendation is get some airsoft pistols. You can even get the cheap crappy plastic ones for this right? It just lets you move through the house with a weapon in your hand. And if you accidentally pull the trigger while it's pointing at somebody that's a friendly, you're not going to hurt them. Or at least you're not going to injure them. It might still sting, but, um, and make sure you wear some eye protection so you don't shoot somebody in the eye. Like they tell the kid in a Christmas story, you're going to shoot somebody's eye out. So you go through, okay? First, you just kind of get some level of pattern to how to clean your house, clear your house from both your bedroom, which is probably where you're sleeping if you wake up in the middle of the night, and whatever point of entry you choose uh, for if you come home and, oh, looks like somebody's in our house, or was, right? We gotta clear it and make sure it's safe. <clears throat> then, you go through your house and you go, who's on the other side of that wall? Because guess what drywall doesn't stop? It doesn't stop bullets. That's right. So if you're shooting at a wall that and you miss, that bullet is going through that wall and probably through whoever's on the other side of it if somebody is on the other side of it. So, is that a kid's bedroom or is it something else? <clears throat> and then you need to make your modifications based on that. And then you may also make your family defensive plan to incorporate it, such as if you hear us yell, kids, get on the ground in the middle of the night, that means roll off your bed and lay on the floor, maybe roll under your bed. Right, something like that so that you know, hey, they're all laying down, they're safe if I'm shooting at this angle, they're all, they're not gonna get shot by our bullets, right? We minimize the risk to the children, for instance. So, you do different things like that, you run through that. And then you start working on, what does it mean if I say this word 
And what does it mean if I say that word and how do I communicate important things? So what are important things when you're clearing a house? If you end up shooting back and forth and you run out of ammo in your magazine and you need to reload, your partner needs to know that you're reloading, okay? So you need to have a word for that. That's something other than, shit, I'm out of ammo and gotta reload. Because guess what that does? It tells the bad guy what's happening. So alpha, bravo, that sort of thing. Most of the time, people don't know what that means, right? And if you develop one that's specific to you, bananas, pineapple, okay, we know what those words mean in a gunfight, and I know how to cover for my partner or how to wait for something to happen, right? It could mean somebody's about to move. So you need to know when somebody's going to move. You need to know when you're out of ammo and reloading. You need to know if you see something, a bad guy, right? How are you gonna communicate that? Because you may not, you may see something and you don't just want to start shooting at it, right? What if you have college-age kids? You want to make sure that's not one of them, right? And you might say things like, hey, I see you, come out. And they don't do it right off the bat because they're drunk. And you are the closest person for them to come home to so that they don't have to drive a long way and be unsafe, right? Maybe they got an Uber home. They kind of broke in somehow because they forgot their keys at the bar and now they're in your house. And trust me, there are plenty of stories of people shooting their college age kids because they come in late at night drunk. So don't do stupid things like that. Practice clearing, go through contingencies, have ideas of what you're going to do, communicate clearly, and practice working as a team. All right, until next time, train hard, stay safe, be prepared.